morning, Disciples Church. Again, good to see you today. I am, uh, I'm excited that Christmas is here. Uh, our, I'm thrilled that we are together to celebrate Christ's birth here at our new campus. It's been kind of dreaming about this for a long time, and it's going to be fun to continue to have some of our first. Uh, last week was amazing Sunday, all-church celebration of uh, 10 of our folks baptized and um, 17 new members introduced and just story of life change, transformation, and healing, reconciliation. One of our couples uh, has been uh, came to our church just a few months ago. They've been divorced four years. We remarried them on Sunday, and they are united and healing and moving forward as one as God has ordained. It's just amazing to see what God's doing, and uh, just excited, excited for our time. I'm going to take a break from our sermon series through the letter of James, uh, which we're about to move into chapter five in that series. We're going to pick that up here after Christmas uh, and take the month of December to uh, preach through Advent. Um, Today we're going to look at the first emphasis of Advent, as Marilyn read earlier, which is hope. Uh, Each week of Advent we will study a different emphasis. The first week being hope, Uh, next week will be love, the third week will be peace, and the fourth week joy, and then gather together on Christmas Eve to light the Christ candle and to look at the gospel and um, the arrival of Christ um, for salvation. Um, Each week, uh, we're going to to dig into each of these different emphasis. I'm excited about what that will mean for us, and it's very real application. Uh, But before we start today to look at Advent hope, I wanted just to talk about Advent for a moment, because a lot of you might be like me, who didn't grow up in a church that practiced Advent. Uh, a little more of a liturgical practice and following the universal church's calendar. What is Advent? Well, it's a season, it's a calendar season uh, in, the, in the year uh, by which we gather to celebrate the birth of Christ. Um, similar to how Israel gathered throughout the year uh, to have special feasts and celebrations, uh, our modern church gathers for special remembrances and celebrations of Christ our King as well. Uh, the celebration and preparation leading up to the birth of Christ is called Advent. The word Advent literally means the arrival or the coming, depending on its context. Uh, and so in our celebration of the arrival, it's the arrival of the Messiah, the promised Redeemer. It's the celebration of the birth of Christ in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. The birth of Christ is also called the incarnation of Christ. The root word there, carne, means meat or flesh. And this is looking towards this amazing doctrine and this amazing understanding that God the Son, eternally equal to the Father and the Spirit and power and in glory, humbled himself, God the Son, humbled himself to take on flesh, to become a human person, to add a human nature to his divine nature. The incarnation is what we celebrate at Christmas every year. It is the purpose of Christmas, a celebration of the incarnation of God the Son to take on flesh. Think about the very lyrics we sing every year. Hark the herald angels sing, 
Glory to the newborn King, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate Deity, God the Son, taking on flesh, praising Him for the incarnation, the humbling of Himself to take on flesh so He could redeem His people. One of the great and most central scriptures that speak of the glorious incarnation of Jesus is the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14. The Word, speaking of Jesus, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God the Son became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Consider that. The arrival of God the Son in flesh is the celebration of the birth of Jesus. It's an arrival that changes everything. The arrival of the Messiah, the Advent, is a chance each year for us to slow down and to reach into new places in our Christian faith or those of you considering faith in Jesus as we, we look to who Jesus really is and, and what His arrival, His incarnation really means for us. And specifically in these four areas of Advent that we'll focus on this year. Lasting hope. Lasting love. Lasting peace. And lasting joy. To do this study this Christmas, we're going to look at some of the Christmas narrative in Scripture and the Gospel. Um, And... We can surely be confident that as we study God's good word, he has great things in store for us. Amen? So, uh, as we dive in, let's go to him in prayer, seek his face together, ask him to move marvelously in our lives. Father, we thank you for this time and this place that you've prepared. Thank you for the, the musicians, young and old, different talents to come to our stage to lead us and Uh, In these songs we know so well, but in such a new and fun way, Lord God, we thank you for just the joy of Christmas, Um, that that something special would be this year, because you're all the more central to it all. A birthday party for one who often we can so quickly relegate to the corner of the room and focus on ourselves and our families and all the other work to be done. I just pray, Lord, that you'd be at the center of it all. That our hearts would well up with authentic worship for you. That that our praise would would just grow and would boil over and and would just come forth in, in just the joy of the gift of the arrival of Christ. What the incarnation means for our lives, specifically salvation. Pray for those who who are coming to disciples to, to hear these gospel truths preached they'd be fresh, that they would be life-giving, that you would bring real conviction in in the best kind of way to not leave us where we're at, but to take us to a new place, intimacy with you, of life lived for you. We love you. Uh, Pray that you would just speak clearly through me this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Today, Marilyn lit our first Advent candle, which symbolizes hope. If you ask the average person on the street what we might mean by hope at Christmas, what would people say? Um, Probably put on the spot, they might be honest to say what they had hoped to receive at Christmas in their gift wish list, right? Here's what I'm hoping for. Um, And maybe that's a cool toy. Uh, Maybe that's a new outfit. Maybe it's an appliance. Um, That's what's happening in my home this Christmas. My my family's four weeks into hand washing our dishes because our dishwasher finally took a dump. And uh, we finally saved up enough to get a new one. And so we're excited as a family to have a new dishwasher for Christmas. Right? Uh, maybe it's a tool. Um, maybe it's a family member to get well or to come home. What, do you, what have you hoped for over the years? What are you hoping for this Christmas? I'll, I'll never forget uh, the, the Christmas present I hoped the most for. I, I remember just this particular year, this particular present really, really stood out. My greatest memory was in 1986 uh, because of something that happened in 1985. In 1985, North America was introduced to the Nintendo Entertainment System. (laughs) Made popular by one of the best-selling games of all time, Super Mario Brothers. Every time you could go near a store and play the game, it was just amazing. I mean, this was really the emergence of video gaming into the home instead of at the arcade. It was, it was revolutionary for us as kids. Um, you know, we had Atari at Grandma's house, but that was, that was old school. This was awesome. I had a hope like I cannot remember anything else. I mean, as a child for my own NES. I mean, my parents totally duped me, too. We opened all the presents that year. I didn't get it. And I'm in the kitchen on the phone with my best friend. He's like, I got it. I got it. He's so excited. He's getting all plugged in. I'm just like about to cry. Bro, I didn't get it, man. (laughs) And my dad, I hear my dad in the other room. He said, hey, Josh, what's this one more present behind the TV? I got to go. I got to go. I hung up. And there it was behind the TV. I come to find out my parents had actually opened it a month prior. And late at night while we slept, they were playing Duck Hunt in their room. (laughs) Fun memory I have of my folks, just picturing that. The Western one, here come the guys shooting at them. Oh, now it was excellent for many years. I mean, some good memories there. Uh, But it was temporary, you know, It, 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 it grew outdated, it started to get old. And like so many things, you know, we have. Or things we put our hope in, uh, they, they, they don't satisfy us to our deepest core. They don't, they don't really change our lives forevermore. There's something still fleeting or lacking. I, I remember specifically with, with the Nintendo as it, as it grew older, uh, and, and those of you who lived in this generation with me will remember this. Do you remember having to blow in the cartridges? You know, that. Because we were convinced that helped it when it wasn't working. 
And then there was that secondary thing. If you were really good and you kind of show off to your friends, you would click the game in like just right, like over the lip of it and click it down and be like, okay, watch, it's going to, and it turns on. It would just wear down and it just wouldn't, wouldn't work. It's, it's analog technology. And it was cool. But like the rest of creation, it, it breaks down and it fades. And this is why hope so often for us is a fleeting thing. It's many people just give up on hope. And, and, and we spend a lifetime chasing it, hoping for things that we think will be it finally. And then they let us down or they abandon us or they, or they die. And so this causes us to slow down this morning and say, so what is hope then? If I'm chasing it for so long, what is it really? And, and, and how is it possible that I could actually find lasting hope? Hope that won't wear down, that won't run away, that, that won't disappoint. I want to define hope in two ways. I think it's critical we see both sides of the coin. The, the first part of the definition is hope is a feeling of expectation or a desire for a certain thing to happen. You're hoping for something. It's also a person or a thing that may help or save someone. So you put your hope in something. So to see the difference, I can hope for something and I can put my hope in something or in someone. Two ways, what we hope for, what we hope in. I want to look at this this morning. And I want us to go to God's word. If you'll grab your Bibles and turn with me, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Each week we'll look at a different part of the Christmas narrative. And and we're actually going to start with part of the narrative that's post-Jesus' birth, just after he was born. Chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 25 and read all the way through verse 38. Here we find two people tied to the birth of Christ, and their testimony points us to lasting hope. Uh, Even though they were in lengthy seasons of waiting and preparation. Look with me at God's word, Luke 2, 25-38. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he he came in the Spirit to the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what had been said about him. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall 
and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Before we dive into the text, remember I told you that there's two sides to hope. What we hope for and what we hope in. Let's look at the first, what we hope for. What have you found yourself hoping for lately? And why is it that, for some reason, all the things of this world that we once hoped for seem to continue to leave us longing for more? I'm here today to testify that there is a better hope, a lasting hope, one that's not fleeting but is lasting. It's everlasting. I'm talking about a hope for salvation, and for the glory of God. See, our problem is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 And when we rightly see that we are separated from the Holy God and eternal life with Him because of our sin, then salvation from our sin is our first and great hope. Now this is not an end in and of itself. Salvation doesn't, is not the peak of the mountain. It actually prepares us for the greatest thing we could ever hope for, which is to enjoy the glory of God. See, you can't enjoy the glory of God unless you're saved. You are rightly separated from God because of your sin. Because you're still the Lord of your own life. Because your conveniences and your circumstances still rule what you do. But when we're saved and set free, when we're born again, when we die to ourselves to live to Christ, we're reconciled to that holy God because of Christ's perfect work. And only in him can we then enjoy the glory of God. See, this was Simeon's hope as well. Luke 2.25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now let's pause there because this is what's critical. He was waiting. He was hoping for something. Hoping for something. What was it? The text says the consolation of Israel. Well, what's the consolation of Israel? First, what does consolation mean? Let's define that. Consolation means to bring comfort or to be consoled, comforted. 
Simeon was hoping and waiting for the consolation, the comfort of Israel. This was something prophesied about many generations before. Isaiah chapter 41 through 2. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Israel was God's chosen people in the old covenant. To be comforted was to see an end to her warfare, to have her iniquity and sin pardoned. But the old covenant was only a temporary provision that pointed us to the ultimate comfort and salvation, to the new covenant. The only one who could ultimately do this for God's elect was the Messiah. The promised Redeemer. This is where baby Jesus comes in. Luke 2.27 He came in the Spirit to the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. So the setting is 40 days after Jesus is born Mary and Joseph bring baby Jesus to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord. A scene repeated over and over in Israelite culture, for the law required this in Leviticus 12, 2 through 8, that a sacrificial lamb or two pigeons or two turtle doves be made as an offering for the son's birth. Simeon is the one to receive them. And he declares that he's been waiting. We're hoping for the consolation, the comfort of Israel. What is the consolation, the comfort of Israel that Simeon's Simeon's been waiting for, hoping in? Luke 2.26 It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Christ here means Messiah the royal redeemer, the promised one from the beginning of mankind's story, God the Son, who would take on flesh, who is the Messiah, has arrived. The comfort, the consolation of Israel. Jesus brings the fulfillment of Simeon's hopes and the application of God's tenderness to a war-weary people. The salvation Jesus alone brings is the application of God's pardon for a sin-sick and guilty people. His chosen people. But the consolation, this comfort, is not just for God's chosen within ethnic Israel. Those of Jewish descent who are among God's elect but also for the Gentiles. This is where you and I come in. Luke 2, 28-32, He took him up in his arms and blessed him and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. That I have prepared in the presence of all peoples, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And for glory to your people Israel. 
God's consolation shines the light of Jesus Christ, not on the chosen people of ethnic Israel, but on the chosen people who are Gentiles. What does it mean to be a Gentile? A Gentile is simply anyone who is not born of ethnic Israel. So it's all the rest of us. Our greatest hope is not for temporary things or temporary health or temporary you fill in the blank. Our first and most vital hope is for salvation, for comfort, for pardon from the penalty that is the worst thing in our lives, worse than cancer, worse than any relationship disaster you've been through, worse than the loss of a career. To stand guilty before the Holy God is the worst thing in your life. It is pardoned from that. But that salvation doesn't just end in being saved. It, it, it opens the door for us to enjoy the glory of God. goal of Christian hope or the one thing we are truly intended to hope for above all things church is participation in the glory of God Romans 5 2 as Marilyn read earlier we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God one of the reasons we sing at Christmas ongoingly church is we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We who have received salvation rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The greatest thing that we could ever see and savor is the glory of God. Because of the fall, because of our sin, our first hope is for salvation, for redemption. But our ultimate hope is for our participation in the glory of God. Pastor John Piper once said it this way, Christmas happened, Good Friday happened, Easter happened, so that sinners might not be incinerated in the beauty of God, but might see it and savor it with ever-increasing joy. So why Paul says in Romans 5.2, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, our hope is for salvation and for the glory of God. The only one who can make these things a reality for us is Jesus. Which brings us to the other part of hope. Not what we hope for, but who we hope in. What is your hope in? What are you putting your hope in? Is your hope in your health? Is your hope in your wealth? Is it in unity with others? What are you putting your hope in? Are you putting your hope in stuff? Relationships? Maybe it's your own strength. You, you put your hope in what you, you do. 
these things, all of that will only last a short while. Maybe a lifetime. Which compared to eternity is so short. How can our hope really be lasting if it's in things that are fleeting and temporary? My deep prayer is not for you who are putting your hope in things that we would kind of agree together are just wicked and evil and bad. You know, th- things like maybe, maybe in your life or in this last season, your hope's been in drugs or alcohol or pain medication or your job. or it just, but, but, but what about... What I'm really praying for is those of you who put your hope in good things. Your, your, your marriage, your, your kids. Because even those things are temporary. They're not promised tomorrow. Your, your marriage covenant is one that God makes two become one flesh until death do you part. But either of you could die today. Kids that God's entrusted you to raise and to pour into, your hope is in them, is in the next generation. They might not make it through the end of the day. And what these things become to us is sometimes the greatest trap of all. Because when they fail us, then we're just undone. Only our hope in Jesus can be lasting. Look at where this is emphasized in our text. Luke 2, 30-32. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He's holding and looking at a baby. My eyes, he says, have seen your salvation. You've prepared in the presence of all people A light for revelation to the Gentiles, for the glory to your people Israel. Simeon sees the Lord's salvation is a person. It is Jesus. It is God in flesh. The very child before him. And then consider Anna's testimony in the next part of our text. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. So they were married seven years, and then a widow. So he passed. There's an example of this. Young marriage doesn't last more than seven years. He dies. Now she's a widow until 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer, night and day. Let me give you a little context for her real quick so we can understand who we're dealing with here. Anne is a prophetess. A prophetess is simply a female prophet. Um, A true prophet, male or female, is called and gifted by God to be the mouthpiece to the one he appointed them to speak to. To speak on his behalf. To speak the authority of God. 
It's why the office of, of prophet is no longer. The canon, the word of God is, is finished in the holy word, written word. All true prophecy, true prophecy, is initiated by the Holy Spirit and not man. 2 Peter 1.21 For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Six women in Scripture are expressly stated as possessing the title of prophetess. Five under the Old Covenant, and one stated here, Anna, as mentioned in the Gospels. In addition, Philip is mentioned in Acts as having four daughters who prophesied, which brings maybe the number of prophetesses to ten that the Bible speaks of. Anna is very advanced in years. This text makes this clear. She's a widow in waiting. A long wait, if you consider... She's only married her husband for seven years in her youth. But what's she waiting for? Well, the world would say probably another husband. She is waiting for a man. But not a husband. Luke 2, 38. Coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Her hope was in Jesus. Her waiting was for Jesus. The promised one. The Messiah had arrived. The one they were waiting for is the redemption of Jerusalem. The hope of the redemption of God's people is the Messiah. Isaiah 52.9 Break forth together into singing You waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. In the coming of Christ, the prophecy is fulfilled. The Lord is the consolation of his chosen people. That's what Simeon's looking for. The Lord has brought redemption to Jerusalem. That's what Anna's looking for. That's what they're hoping in. Their hope is in Jesus. Psalm 146, 5. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. So I ask you again, what or in who are you hoping in? When I stand at the altar with a couple, a very intimate space, when two become one, we hold high what the Lord's word says about marriage here at Disciples Church. One of the, one of the things I do in a wedding ceremony that some people almost like, you really just go there, is to remind them both their hope can't be in each other. And they're, they're doomed to be broken if it is. To look at this beautiful bride and say, this man, your hope, your strength, your ability to keep this covenant despite what he does, but the vows you're about to make, no matter how bad or how worse it gets, I will remain faithful till death do us part. Hope can't be in him. 
It's got to be in the Lord. You're desperate for God. I love Anna's testimony. I love that her hope was not in another husband. Or in the stuff of this world, her hope is in Christ. What an example she is to our generation, especially to our women, young and old. Consider with me, Luke presents her as a woman without bitterness. By the world's terms, she's been alone without a husband for, and there's a lot of ways you could divide or interpret this, but at least maybe 60 years. In her late-aged singleness, she's not bitter. She's joyful. She's committed to worship God. She loves to pray and fast. Not, not just for days or weeks or seasons, but for decades. Ladies, this is one of your many examples of a godly woman who's not satisfied with just attending church. Occasionally, maybe praying, maybe trying to find a few minutes to jump into God's Word. No, no, she's faithfully involved in the work of God. She hungers for God's Word. She loves spending time with Him in prayer. Her trust, her hope is in Jesus. Her joy is in God. It's not in her beauty. It's not in her stuff. Not in her relationships. Not in her accomplishments. But God. Her joy is in God. I love that we are blessed with women like this here at Disciples Church. Women who are an encouragement and inspiration to me. Uh, women like our very own Marilyn Stone, um, who, who's single, or, or, or our very own Julia Pels, who's, who's widowed, to represent others like them. Women who are faithful to kingdom work, to loving others, faithful to meeting with and ministering to other women in our community. These are women who are faithful to prioritizing time to spend with God. Faithful to not look for the world to define their identity, but to God to purpose their days. Faithful to finding their joy in God and not in a man or in money or in fame or fortune. Younger women, I pray your hope is not in a man or the prospect of a man, but that your hope, whether your hope also would not be in your looks, or in your grades, or in anything else that's temporary or fleeting, but that your hope is in Christ. This was Peter's emphasis in 1 Peter 3, 3-4. through 4, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is in God's sight, is very precious. How how does one do that? By putting your hope in Christ. By being satisfied and defined by Him. For many here today, there's a deep longing in your heart 
for a consolation or a comfort that this world cannot satisfy. I pray that God is preparing you to to recognize and to receive His gift this Christmas. Which I pray is the sovereign work of God in your own soul. To give you eyes to see and ears to hear and a cling to Him, a faith in Him like never before. That the arrival of lasting hope is Jesus Christ to you. He is the consolation of Israel and for the Gentiles. That we would not seek hope anywhere but in Him. Are you without hope today? Are you discovering that you've been placing your hope in fleeting things today? To set your hope in Christ is to begin to allow Jesus to fulfill you and define you, to lead you. Despite how hard things get in your home, in your marriage, in your money, in your health. This is an essential reality that we must face because our time on earth, church, will be hard. Our hope is not in our circumstances. can't be. There will be real suffering. The scripture is clear. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 8. See the marriage of these two truths proclaimed together. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be Him. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. To what? To a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. The sermon can't end there. The the message can't only talk about all the good of the hope, because the reality is the hope we have in Christ endures us through the hardship. It's exactly where Peter goes next. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Church, some of you are guilty of running away from your struggles, from the things that have been hard for you. In many days, many ways, is it God's sovereign plan that you would actually go through such trials so that your hope in Christ would be all the more bright. Because it's not about you. You've been given the greatest gift you could ever have been given in Christ. You're saved. You you will get to see and enjoy the glory of God for eternity. There's nothing better He can give you. To somehow say, God, I need a little more blessing is not to understand the blessing you have. And so our days are His to be used by Him. We will have trials. Trials that will grieve us, Peter says. But we do not dismay in the fact that our hope is in Christ. It's lasting. It's living. 
This is real. Church, Christmas time and the life that we are each living is not without great heartache and trials. This is to be expected. Jesus himself said, we will be persecuted, that we will suffer. He went so far to say that we will experience division and separation in our own families. That the reality that some are saved and reborn and some are not is a real part of God's active work in mankind. God is at work. He's redeeming some, but not all. This is His good and perfect will. And we praise God that He saves any when we see that we deserve His righteous wrath for eternity. Did you notice in our text today that Simeon speaks of this reality as well? Luke 2, 33-35, And his father and his mother marveled at what he said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, a sword that will pierce through your own soul, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is right in line with what we see throughout the New Testament, that some will will proclaim to be faithful, they'll be claimed to be part of Christ, and yet their thoughts, who they really are, will be revealed. That this child's appointment is for the fall and rise of many. Mary and Joseph bring baby Jesus to the temple, and they're excited He's to be circumcised and dedicated and sacrifices to be made. And Simeon tells him this revelation that Jesus' arrival also will mean real turmoil in the horizontal realities that we face every day. Imagine this most precious ceremony. Everyone's cooing over baby Jesus and the Lord's proclamation in this moment. This child will be spoken against. This child will create all kinds of problems in the society that you're in. This child will create all kinds of strife. People will come against this child. All kind of wars will happen over this child. And a sword will pierce your own soul. Simeon's saying what Jesus will say himself later in the Gospel of Matthew 10, 34-36. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to earth. For I have come not to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father. A daughter against her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A person's enemies may come, may be those in his own household. And that doesn't fit the secular narrative of family above all else. No, the reality is to be blood-bought, to be adopted into God's eternal family, means to be part of a family that's everlasting. And the scriptures teach wholly and seriously that those who stand against Christ will hate him will rebel against the things of the Lord. This will cause great turmoil within homes and relationships. And it makes sense it would. I mean, for you to surrender your life to Christ means He's now the ultimate authority in every part of who you are. That's going to upset all of what was normal before that. The salvation and hope that Jesus brings becomes a true stumbling block for many. So much so that many will hate Him. And hate us because we belong to Him. This is why there's no such thing as casual faith 
Because nothing about being a Christian is casual. John Stott famously said, basic Christianity, no wonder, I'm sorry, no one who ever met Jesus Christ ever responded moderately to him. The only three things that you see people doing when they meet the real Jesus are to run away from him in terror, to assault him with fury, or prostrate themselves in utter surrender. Because Jesus claimed to be king, that you will either be radically for him or against him. Anyone who says, well, religion's a private thing, uh, I don't think you should take too seriously your faith, doesn't really get who Jesus is or what he came to do. If we lean in and really listen to Jesus' teachings about his authority, his claims to be king above all kings, you will either run in terror, assault him in fury, or you will fall in surrender. Think about it, church. It's all around us at Christmas. We just, we, we just bathe in the secular wash of it. and We miss the potency of it. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Because he came to rule as king. He came to start a fight in our homes and in our neighborhoods. Because we were lost. Because we were enslaved. Because our spiritual reality in Christ is so much more important than anything else that's on the horizontal or any of the surfacey reasons why we connect. God owns and controls all things this morning. Do you trust Him? Do you hope in Him? Realize that your hope in Jesus for salvation and ultimately to enjoy the glory of God is so much bigger than your momentary struggles and crises and circumstances. If our hope is just about today and just about the moment, then it's not lasting, it's fleeting. And here's the promise. Simeon and Anna, even though they were in lengthy seasons of waiting, in great struggle, even though the, the preparation for the arrival must have gotten old at times, over decades, generations, they remained faithful and never became disappointed because their hope was for the promise of God, for salvation and His glory, and their hope was in the one who saves and satisfies. Amen? Don't miss this today. Romans 5.5 5 says, Hope does not put us to shame. True hope, lasting hope, will not put you to shame. Other translations say there, it will not disappoint. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Notice it doesn't say hope doesn't disappoint because our family remains healthy and doesn't get sick. It doesn't say hope doesn't disappoint because we meet our spouse when we wanted to. It doesn't say hope doesn't disappoint us because our career is going great and with a bigger income on the horizon. It doesn't say hope doesn't disappoint us because we have lots of friends and stuff. Hope does not put us to shame. It does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
I pray that if you've never submitted your life to Jesus as Lord, that you would today. You would die to yourself to live to Christ. To put your hope and your faith in Jesus. Your hope can't be in your own life. It can't be in your beloved family. It can't be in your health or your wealth. Because all of that will end. If it's going to be lasting, it has to be in Christ. Only then will your hope for salvation be fulfilled that you can forever enjoy the glory of God. Amen? Lord, we pray today that this would be the case for some in this place who are maybe listening from afar to our podcast, that today would be your day of salvation for them. That they would truly die to themselves and confess their sin before you, the holy God, and just break in awe and wonder that Jesus, God the Son, put on flesh, lived perfectly, died for them. That your grace befalls their life. That your love is on them. Your plan of election before time is on them. That, that you have saved to set them free to enjoy you and live for you the rest of their days. God, I pray you'd make war on anyone here who's just been caught up in casual faith. What a joy it's been to, to get to, to meet with and walk with many who are now a committed part of our church who came here desperate to be rid of casual Christianity. God, that you'd be refining and molding and mobilizing us to truly repent of sin and to truly <clears throat> live enduringly through the struggles with a bright hope in you, our Lord. We love you. We want to be your faithful people, enduring through every trial and hardship, walking by faith and not by sight, living in the hope of Christ for your glory and for others' eternal good. We pray these things in Jesus' name.